Super Talk Mississippi media production. Discover the Copaya Advantage. Copaya County is a Mid-South gem with a spirit of opportunity, a business-friendly environment, and access to major transportation networks. Copaya County, let's do business. Visit copayaworks.com today and discover the Copaya Advantage. What's up on a Thursday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator is Colin Brister. We are in the studio. Um, thank you for hanging out with us on this fine Thursday or whenever it is that you're listening to it and wherever it is that you're listening to it. Um, packed show today. We have, of course, Ole Miss's pretty emotional defeat to Tennessee last night in basketball. We've got some spring football because there's really nothing that gets my gears going about being on a practice field in late February. <laughs> And we've got some Ole Miss baseball to discuss. Probably mostly a basketball and a football show because we'll have a show on Friday that'll preview the weekend and kind of the state of the Ole Miss baseball team at this juncture. But a packed show nonetheless. It has been a, whether it's off the court, on the court, it's been kind of a crazy couple weeks with regards to Ole Miss. I mean, a lot going on, most of it good. Yeah, yeah, I mean... It's funny, outside of everything but the final score and some students throwing cups, uh, Wednesday night went as well as possible because that environment's kind of what they built the pavilion for, you know? Yeah, and we'll get into that in in, in a second. And then do you have any hot takes as far as spring football? Because I was sitting there at the opening press conference on on Tuesday. I'm going to be completely honest with you. You telling me that spring football opened a bot, I don't know. (laughs) Three minutes ago was the first time that our love spring football was going on. So, no. I got the email last week of the schedule, and I was like, man, that crept up fast. And I'm sitting there in Luke's opening press conference. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, it's February 25th. Like, how did this happen already? We're about to go out to a six months left till football season. Yeah, talking about a 3 4 scheme, and like, my head's just spinning. So, a lot going on right now is my point. So, obviously, we're not going to bury the lead here. We're going to get right into what happened last night in what was a one hell of a college basketball game. You can't say that about a lot of college basketball games. A lot of times, college basketball games lack high, high quality play, they lack flow, a lot of foul calls. Offensively challenged teams, junked up defenses. This was a high level game, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, well, it was an NCAA tournament game. It was uh, not not in the sense that it was like somebody's eliminated. It's but that's what games in March are going to look like between two two really good teams. Um, you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, it sucks to come out on the end that you did. But in saying that, I mean, your team showed that uh, they can play with anybody in the country if they play well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a high level basketball game. Like you said, not every basketball game, just because it's close doesn't mean that, that it's good basketball. Like I just watched SMU and Cincinnati and that game was horrible and it was a three point game. So, you know, it, it was, it was a very high level basketball game. Both teams made shots, both teams really played well in the defensive end. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to to watch if you're just a casual observer. Yeah, with college basketball, it's probably more so the latter. There's a lot of really bad close <coughs> games. There's not a ton really good ones. But, the you know, Ole Miss loses the game. They let it slip away. They had a chance to win the game, obviously. They're up one with Bree and Tyree going to the free throw line with 18 seconds left. And they're, you know, a mere second and probably one stop away from, from, from stamping their NCAA tournament ticket upsetting a top five team and really just kind of putting an exclamation point on what has been a remarkable turnaround. Obviously that doesn't happen, but the sweet irony of all of this 
is if you're going to point to a single game on Ole Miss's schedule this season that they played and say which one is, makes the best case of them being an NCAA tournament team, it's probably this game. Uh, I, mean, I would argue the uh, state game in Starville. Okay, that that's fair because that was another high. That was another similar yeah. type game, high level play, high quality <clears throat> basketball, two good teams. As states kind of hit its stride later in the year, yeah. but no, I, okay, that's a fair argument. But aside from that, I mean, just yeah. the gravity of the moment, the environment. Was that the best game that Ole Miss played all year? I think because when Tennessee. When Tennessee, and I think this was evidence in how they came out and, and punched Ole Miss in the mouth in the 14-2 to run to start the second half, they're one of the best half-court offensive teams in the country. They're a veteran team. They share the ball. When they get interested in defending for an extended stretch of time, they can win the whole thing. Well, they shoot approximately 108% on open looks. Like, like inside the arc, uh, Grant Williams doesn't miss. Admiral Schofield doesn't miss. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're – I think you texted me that they had one of the best offensive uh, efficiency rates in the country. They're top five in the country. Yeah, I mean, I'm too kinda, lazy to look it up. But it I, kinda, I, up I think Gonzaga's one, um, but yeah, it kind of showed. Like, Be- I, I don't know what you do. Ole Miss played as well as they possibly could on the defensive end because they get, and that was the most surprising <clears> to me is how where, well they fit, fared in the half court off half court defense. Excuse me, because Tennessee. They seemingly move the ball exactly where they they get the ball exactly where they want to get the ball on every possession. They don't turn the basketball over. I mean, it's a veteran team. You know, the Schofield and Grant Williams. What did they combine for? They combined. Let's see. Williams had twenty one and Oof. Schofield had eleven. Lamonte Turner had seventeen. But but my point being was that that Schofield and Williams get most of the pub and it's deserved. But man, Jordan Bone and Lamonte, and Lamonte Turner, Turner they got can really play. good guard play. They have really good guard play, and nobody notices it. That's why they're going to win next month. Turner's one of the one that killed Ole Miss. He was seventeen points on eight to twelve shooting. That guy off the bounce is dynamic heading to the rim. Just absolutely a force. Yeah, and I mean, to Ole Miss's credit, they fared pretty. Grant Williams had twenty-one points on seven to thirteen shooting. He had six total rebounds. But it didn't feel like a Nick Claxton type thing from Georgia where he's just torching Ole Miss. Nah. Because I thought Ole Miss was smart about where they allowed him to catch the ball. I thought Bruce did all that he could do, is capable of doing defensively against him. I thought they fair, they did pretty well in the zone. I thought Ole Miss guarded in the half court about as well as they could. Well, ter- Terrence Davis. about five possessions. Terrence Davis locked up Admiral Schofield. What did he shoot? Um, Schofield was 11 points, 4 of 7. So he only I mean, got that's 7 okay. shots off. But that, I thought TD played one of his best games of his career defensively. They put him on Schofield the whole game. And and I thought he played as well as he could against one of the best players in the country. I said that on radio before the game, too. I, Richard asked me, it's been a while since Terrence Davis has had a game where he's gone off for a bunch of points. Do you think this is a game that, that he could do that? And I said, honest to God, if Kermit Davis could have a 30-point Terrence Davis or disciplined defensive Terrence Davis, he would take the latter. Well, and that's it. what happened in the game. He got it. And and that's why Ole Miss was in the game for, for most of the game. It was... It was a weird game because Ole Miss starts one of seven from the field. Tennessee's up ten three, ten two, something like that. Yeah. And you're kind of thinking, okay, this is this isn't going to necessarily be Ole Miss's night. They're not making jump shots. They're struggling to move the ball. They're frustrated by Tennessee's link getting the rim, and then they, from a half court offense execution perspective, were just almost I don't want to say flawless, but they were damn close to it in that first half. Yeah. I mean, they I think they finished the half thirteen to twenty five after starting one for eight. They got good looks, they moved the ball, and, and they played well. And it helped that they were making three-point shots. Well, yeah, I mean, they were 5 of 11 uh, at half from, from three. What they finish from three? Ole Miss finished from three. They Great finished. pod here. 
Yeah. <laughs> Great. What do they call this? Bad radio? Yeah. Ole Miss finished four of 12. No, no, they didn't because there were five of 11 from three at, at halftime. So they no, finished. No, no, no. Excuse me. That was the half. Nine of 23. I was looking at the second okay, half. Okay. So they went four of 12 in the second half. Yeah. That's, I mean, a little bit of regression in the mean there. Uh, yeah. Look, that was about as well as Ole Miss can play. And they had a chance to beat a number seven team in the country. And yes, it sucks because, yes, it would have it ended any tournament conversation. That being said, Ole Miss is a tournament team, barring an absolute utter collapse at this point. Yeah, and so oh, we won't go possession by possession and break the whole game down, but it was interesting. Ole Miss really plays well to end the first half, leads by five. If there's one reoccurring issue that is not necessarily schematic for Ole Miss, it is they far too often they come out lethargic in the second half. Kermit doesn't know what it is. I was listening to him on the radio going home, and he, he said that that's the one thing that continually bothers him is how bad they play coming out of the locker room, and they play badly. Like, it's, it's not a – it's not a deal where it's uh, they they do it you know every once in a while they they are consistently bad out of the uh, locker room in the second half and I have no clue what to attribute it to. It's it, the to me and I uh, this is not backed up by any any research I uh, willingly because it would it be it's subjective and it's hard to research but to me their first few possessions of the second half are often very stagnant in terms of ball movement and it's a lot of relying on some guy to make a play or make a contested jump shot and I'm not sure why it takes them a while to get into rhythm but they're going to have to change that because Georgia hit them in the mouth coming out of the second half and took a lead and Ole Miss spent most of that second half trying to really recover and kind of get its vision straight again and Tennessee you know you take a five-point lead against Tennessee you score the first point to make it seven coming out of the halftime locker room against a top-five team, you're trying to preserve that and kind of salt on that a little bit, and, you're and it's gone in the blink the of an media. eye with 14 straight points. Yeah, I mean, you're down, I think, three or five at the media, like within three minutes. So, yeah, I, Ole Miss has to get that figured out. Because, um, you know, if they don't have that bad stretch, they probably win that game five or six points. So obviously, that, that counts, and, and Tennessee deserved to win the basketball game. But, man, it was uh, – it was it was definitely a high level basketball game that uh, if you're an Ole Miss fan you hate to see them lose but in the same breath you know this program is on the right track Ole Miss is going to make the NCAA tournament you know again barring an absolute collapse that I don't see happening with this team so yeah it it, it was uh, if you were a fan it was a fun night in the pavilion last night um, so we'll get we'll get to the NCAA tournament part in a second and what that looks like now the end of the game was interesting because. Yeah. So Ole Miss claws back, obviously takes the lead. We just rehashed. Tyree makes, you know, Ole Miss up one with 18 seconds left, misses the free throw. Grant Williams goes down, makes a contested layup. After taking 11 steps. See, I've watched that five or six times, and, like, there's so much foot traffic down there. I couldn't – it kind of looked like a travel, but – They had to have ruled that he he fumbled the ball. But you can't – that's what they had yeah. to rule because he picked it up at around the three-point line. And you can't expect a whistle there, though. So he makes a tough layup. It is what it is. And then desperation mode kind of sets in for Ole Miss. But that's the second game in a row Brian Tyree has missed the front end of a one-and-one. It almost cost him against Georgia. It didn't because they got to stop. And then, of course, against Tennessee, give him another breath of life, and it did cost him. And I, there's no one really, if you're Ole Miss, you want on the line there more than Tyree. No. But, I mean, twice, it would be... One could only think it might be starting to become a little I'm bit sure mental. I'm sure that's the issue is that it's becoming a little bit mental. But, you know, I had people tonight text me and say, you know, why are you trying to get him the ball? He just missed. Well, he had made free throws in the Auburn game and the Mississippi State game, too. Like He's an 84% free throw shooter. Yeah. And, I like, with baseball, you know me. I'm a big math person. So, you know, I, 
I think if if Ole Miss is in that situation on Saturday, I wouldn't have much hesitancy to get Bree and Tyree to the line. You know, like if it's Devontae Shuler, that's great. If it's Terrence Davis, that's great. But if you're rooting for Ole Miss and Bree and Tyree is up at the line, uh, you know, up two with ten seconds left, I I'm betting he knocks them down the next time just because from a from a sheer math perspective, look, yeah, it's it, it might be becoming mental at some point, but he's your best free throw shooter, right? Like I, I'm pretty sure eighty four percent leads the team. And Kermit Davis said that, you know, Tyree was heartbroken after the game. The whole team was. They're going to now – well, I guess we kind of skipped over the part. So desperation sets in after the Grant Williams shot. You know, Do you like not taking a timeout? No, I didn't. And in the moment, as I'm sitting there watching it and trying to kind of gather everything that's happening, I'm thinking, okay, they mun- must not have a timeout. No, they had one. So there is no reason for Devontae De- <coughs> Shewer takes the ball off the court. It gets pretty deep into the Tennessee defense. Still had some time to take another dribble and gather himself. But throws up a 35, thir- not 35, about a 30-footer. I am not sure why he didn't take a timeout. I probably t- probably would have taken a timeout, but at the same time, you have three really good guards. Let them go make a play. Why in don't transition. Why don't college coaches inbound the ball almost to half court and call a timeout in those situations? It, it floors my mind why you can't get the ball to half court, call a timeout, and run a play from there. Well, the first part of that is easier said <laughs> than done. Because well, Devontae the, got to half court. Well, the whole yeah, no, no, he did, he did. I, I'm I'm talking about the inbounding part. You're wasting valuable seconds because any team worth their salt is going to make you catch the ball going towards the other basket. Right. So, but anyway, they they so he eats a timeout. I you know. Feel however you want that about is what you will, whatever. Um, Admiral Schofield inexplicably is a dunk. Not only he doesn't even contest the shot, he tries to take a charge. And I did you were probably at Barnes's press conference. He, I, from what Barnes I said, re- he, he Barnes said, I did not. Rick Barnes, Tennessee's head coach, was like, I, I did not want him to do yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't think they out. coach that, like to take a charge from 35 feet. If a guy pulls up from 30 feet, you run away from him. It's see, a thirty foot shot. See Snoop White, twenty fifteen NCAA or SEC tournament. Like, yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's at least contested, kind of in the corner. Like <laughs> Devontae's thirty feet from the basket, where the the the, the state outline shadow on Ole Miss's court, it, it you know blends with the regular shade of the court. Like you don't need to contest that shot. He tries to take a charge. It's a bang bang play, block charge, whatever you want to call it. You don't want to leave it to that if you're Tennessee. Yeah, Ole like Miss. like the the referee blows the whistle and everyone in the in the arena is just sitting there like. It could go either way. That just seems stupid because the percentage he hits that shot is nil. We thought it was gonna. We were everyone sitting around me thought it was gonna be called a block because as soon as the ref blows the whistle, somebody screamed, "Oh, he called that!" And then of course it ends up being a charge, and it was a horribly officiated game. That crew was incompetent. It see it did. I will I will concede that it it did seem like Ole Miss got the raw end in maybe more crucial situations, but it was a really horribly officiated bo- game both ways, and both teams were victims of it. I just don't understand how, how a team at home gets nine more fouls called on them. than Well, I do understand it because and, – and I wonder – again, I haven't listened to Kermit's press conference. Rick Barnes was very adamant about officiating after the LSU game. Like, very. And you, and you have to wonder if – I don't want to say they heard that and, and made up for it, but you do have to wonder if, if – Maybe it's subconsciously on their yeah. mind because that, that was a bad look for the SEC. But in turn – it turns into a second bad look. Does tonight a bad look though? Like the story, they lost control of that game. They did, but the story tonight is that Ole Miss played Tennessee down to the wire, lost a close game, and Ole Miss's students threw cups at the referees. Like nobody's talking about the incompetency of the referees. I guess at this point is my is my thing. In my mind, and Kermit Davis got a technical at the end of the game. He 
power move throws the, the blazer throw is always a power move. Jim Bayon. I'm not seeing that. Oh, okay, yeah. Bayon. Yeah. Bayon did it at Duke a couple years ago at the end of a game on a block charge. I feel call like you have to throw enough. it at the referee though. Like don't throw it down, throw it at the referee. Or just kind of I mean you either have to body slam it into the ground or maybe throw it at the referee referee and kind of drape him with the I'm jacket. A big, I'm a big fan of throwing a clipboard though. Like, yeah, like, I like that. Um you can't really do the chair anymore, Bob. No, Bob took that, that but I, I think that'll get you suspended or arrested <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> So I don't think you can throw a chair. The blazer throw was power move, but he gets a technical. Kermit Davis take kind of takes shoulders of the blame for for what happened after he said he thought you know he apologized for throwing the blazer. He thought that might have incited some of what the students were doing after throwing cups at the refs. But when it all boils down to it, the referee's incompetency caused the the situation to escalate to that point. There's yeah. no question about it. Well, SEC officiating, and, and I say SEC officiating, these aren't SEC officials per se. It's not like college football. officiating is incompetent. It's not a new revelation. You know, I agree. The Pac-12 is actually not horrible. If you watch some of the Pac-12 games, I think they actually officiate. Is it that or is it no one's watching? Fair enough. Fair enough. Everybody's asleep. Everybody's asleep. <laughs> I think the Pac-12 was officiated well, and I think every every other Power 5 league is a train wreck. Different sport, I know, but it's kind of an oxymoron to say that when the Pac-12 had that story come out this year in football. <laughs> they're literally making their replay review. but <laughs> They're changing calls in, in a freaking headquarters. <laughs> anyway, it, it, we're getting off the rails here, but it was... It was a poorly officiated game, and it's a shame because it was a really fun, high-level basketball game. And that's really all you can say about it. Ole Miss, I'm sure, will turn some of the calls into the SEC office. They'll turn the call in where um, Grant Williams, he planked on— I was trying to describe it to Richard Cross after the game when I was talking to him on the phone, and the best way I could describe it, he planked on Shuler's back. Like, yes! No, he's like piggybacking him. And And they're like, no, it's a jump ball. You can do that. That's legal. Like, what? Both feet off the ground. They call it a jump ball inexplicably, which is kind of crazy. Luckily for Ole Miss, that doesn't really have much of an effect because they lose the possession arrow. The arrow doesn't flip back. Tennessee wasn't going to get in the bonus anyway, and Williams wasn't going to foul out. But it's just a very bad visual. Well, I'll tell you one that was a bad call that cost Ole Miss two points um, was the jump ball in the first half. That that they had on Dom, that was that was horrible. Dom and Dom had to go to the bench in the first half with two fouls. The first of which where he gets hooked on a rebound and they call the foul on him. Yeah, that was not good. So, you know, I'm I'm sure Kermit obviously Kermit Davis was frustrated. He gets the technical, but all in all, Ole Miss is now left with what is a stinging defeat, an emotional defeat. They didn't hide from it. Kermit Davis said the locker room was was heartbroken. You know, you could sense Terrence Davis and Bruce Stevens in the post game presser a little bit down, but. Now, a crucial, crucial road game in Arkansas lies. Yeah. And Arkansas, you thought four or five days ago, quit. Takes Kentucky down to the wire at Rupp. Maybe they fired the last bullet in, they have in, the, in they, the chamber. They shot 50% from three. They did. They were unconscious from <laughs> three. But if you take Kentucky down to the wire in Rupp, and particularly that Kentucky team, you don't quit. Because no, if you roll I, the balls out there and just kind of slap dick it around... You, you get beat by 25. Yes, it was an incredible shooting night from Arkansas, but they had, like, call it what you want. Gafford was a force, and they had a chance. I think, I think you know, weirdly enough, and, and you may disagree, I think, and we're getting off topic when I say this, I think Arkansas is a good matchup for Kentucky because Gafford can limit a little bit what they do down low. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a big game for Ole Miss on Saturday. Look, I, I think Ole Miss wins the game. I'm sure they'll be favored by three or four points. Um I think Ole Miss is a good matchup for Arkansas, and that they, we kind of saw it up here. 
Ole Miss can get after Gafford a little bit because while Dom is not the most athletic human on the face of the planet, he he is pretty tall. He he is seven foot. Um, and he got after Gafford a little bit down here. I don't think Gafford scored in double digits in Oxford. So, yeah, it's, it's a big game for Ole Miss. Ole Miss's guards are going to have to play well. It's tough to win in Fayetteville when they're playing well, but in the same breath, Texas A&M walked in there last Saturday and won. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. I think Ole Miss wins and solidifies a bid, though, Saturday, if I'm guessing at this point. And the, the small dosages of adversity Ole Miss has faced this year, they've always responded pretty well, even if they don't win the game, namely Florida. They yeah. have that debacle at the end of the game. They played a good game against Mississippi State that next Saturday. Didn't win the game, didn't execute well down the stretch, but played pretty well overall. And so it's a game they really need to win because you're searching for that 10th win that punches your ticket with really no questions asked. And secondly... If you look at it on the flip side, if you go lose that game, you're now Ooh. nine and seven, and you're going in the last week of the season, either needing you need to split either a home win against Kentucky, which certainly possible, you don't mm. want to bank on that, or you go the last day of the regular season to Columbia, day. Missouri with a Missouri team, team with absolutely not nothing to play for but does not quit. That is not a situation Ole Miss would want to put itself in at all. Yeah, uh, so you want to win Saturday. Because if you're Ole Miss, because that, that coming down to that last game is whew, on the road. You know, I would think Ole Miss would be favored. I would think Ole Miss would win the game. But it's you leave yourself very little margin of uh, – what what's the word I'm looking for? Margin for error. Margin for error um, if you lose on Saturday. And with the way – with the way this game shook out tonight and where Ole Miss currently stands now, that really is shaping up as the game. Like, they either punch their ticket then and get to that 10 win and you just – you don't coast the rest of the way, but you play for seating, you play relaxed. You, If not, that next week, you want to talk about the mental aspect of things coming in and well, playing tight. Okay, I understand Ooh, what man. you're saying, but do you think do you think the team is sitting there approaching that as man? We're no, one- absolutely not. So I don't I don't think it's. But they get know where they them. sit. I, I agree that they know where they sit. I don't think that they're pro- pro- prognosticating that they have to win one more game to win to make the NCAA tournament too. Like I, I think they, I think they see. I I don't necessarily think that that occupies a ton of space in their mind. But I will say, we've asked them so many pointed questions regarding, without literally saying, hey, you guys are one win away. They've been asked so many questions in the last week and a half. They know they're a win away. Okay. I, if you say so. You know, Kermit you, said tonight, close. he said, we have work left to do. They, well, yeah, I'm sure that well, they approach it that way. You don't want to approach it like you're in. Um, but they no, know where they're at. I think they know they, they're they're one win away from feeling very good. We'll put it that way. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Um, I don't think Ole Miss finishes 0-3. Do you? No, okay. I, I, yeah. I don't. I don't think they lose at Arkansas and Missouri. Well, I really I'll tell think you what, they. Why don't we pull up Kim Palm? You have, you have Kim Palm. I've pull got it up. the basic like. I can, I can. I just want to see what Kim Palm says for their next three games. So, uh, but yeah. So this is kind of the game for Ole Miss, and it's you. You would think Arkansas has kind of fired their last bullet. They're yeah. a struggling team. They just lost an emotional game at Rupp. But you never know, and that's not an easy place to go play. No. Um, Ole Miss has had some success down there. But, yeah, you're right. It's Bud Walton is not a fun arena to walk into. Um, you know, when with Arkansas – well, the thing with Arkansas, too, is – While this is not a geography podcast, it's technically up there. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, 
Arkansas was, I guess, at playing for something last night. Like if you beat Kentucky, you you put yourself back in an NCAA tournament conversation with a win out mentality. Yes. Yeah, they're not playing for anything now. So do the fans show up? Is it a raucous environment? I, I don't think it is. So I mean, it'll be it's it's a chance that Ole Miss or an opportunity that Ole Miss needs to take advantage of. Um, but from an atmosphere standpoint, I think they'll be fine. Okay, Ken Palm has Ole Miss losing at Arkansas 75-74, losing to Kentucky 73-68, and beating Missouri 69-67. 48% chance to win uh, against Arkansas. That's a coin flip game, essentially. Yeah, 32 against Kentucky and 56 against Missouri. I don't think Ole Miss loses both of those coin flips. No. Because they're a good road team. They are a good road team. What, they're 4-3 and three in true road games, I think? Well, yeah, they played seven, so I guess 4-3. And, and that right includes now. the Florida debacle where they had it wrapped up, and, of course, everyone knows what happened. But Yeah. So, an important game for this team and really an important important point in the season because if you're going to cap this this remarkable turnaround, like it, it feels like Saturday would be the day to do it. So, you know, that's about all the thoughts I have on that game. I mean, it was an emotional game. It was a fun game. It was a great atmosphere at the Pavilion. I I, I had fun watching it. I don't often have a ton of fun watching <laughs> college basketball games, particularly some of the ones I cover. But that was a ton of fun. It really was. It was super yeah. enjoyable. The teams, were, they were making shots. They were both moving the ball well offensively. They were playing clean defense for the most part. It was a fun game. And Ole Miss yeah. ended up on the short end of the stick. Just uh, some Auburn uh, won tonight, so that helped Ole Miss. Georgia invents new ways to lose. It's impressive. They uh, Auburn was, I think, behind one with 20 seconds left, and Bryce Brown hit a 30-footer to put them by head two and beat Georgia. And I guess another the other SEC, Florida beat Vanderbilt because everybody beats Vanderbilt. Man, I don't want to say, like, poor Georgia, but... They invent ways to lose. They're getting better, and Tom Crean has nothing tangible to point to to them. I think... But they are in. They're They've inventing lost. ways to lose. They could have gone. They they could have, would have, should have. I understand. But for the sake of the argument, they could be four and zero in their last four games. Yeah. Well, but, they've they've covered every game. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's. They know, could be four like, in the last four games. That's. I, I will say yes. Missouri doesn't quit. I would say particularly in the post, Georgia's a little more gifted than Missouri. Like if you're Ole Miss, like how much worse would it be if you're having to go to Athens for that last week of the year? Ooh, the that's a bad matchup. You want to talk about a uh, Well, I, we're, a we're saying grinder. that. Man. Sure, but Ole Miss did win by 20 in Athens. They did, and they played well, but but I, that's just a scenario. I, I would of. rather have Missouri than Georgia, absolutely. Certainly. I think Kermit Davis probably would agree with that. So, moving on, spring football. <laughs> you're going to have to take the lead here. <laughs> so, Ole Miss opens up the spring – <laughs> it's. I mean, it's. It's. It seems like spring football gets earlier and earlier each year. I mean, next year I'm fully anticipating an email of the media availability schedule. Just going. Just going on get Christmas Day. No, just Christ- the Monday after the football. We just keep practicing. Yeah, just on, keep going. On Christmas Day, they're going to beg. <laughs> Coach Luke will have his opening press conference to kick off the spring on Monday. I, I feel like you're saying you know you don't think they're going to make a bowl since they they wouldn't be practicing for the bowl game then. They may do both. They <laughs> may count both spring practice. <laughs> But point being, it, it seems to get here earlier and earlier every year. You know, there's a lot of unknown with this team. There's two new coordinators, obviously, Mike McIntyre, um, Rich Rodriguez. You're retooling, not the whole offensive line, but you're losing four key contributors in retooling essentially the whole left side in the center. 
So the whole offensive line? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I'm trying to give Alex Givens and Ben Brown their due respect. They, it, it is hopeful they do have them coming oh, Givens, back. Oh, Givens is back. That's, Givens yeah. is back. Okay. So retooling much of the offensive line, you lose the noted firepower receiver with Lodge, Metcalf, and Brown going yeah. to the draft. A new quarterback at the helm. Tight end. A new offense, new tight end, new defense. So <laughs> what is not new? Uh, Matt Luke. Matt Luke is not new. The <laughs> um, presumably the grass Derek, is not Derek, new. Derek Nix. Derek Nix is not new. Um, Calvin McGee, the tight ends coach, is new. Tyrone sure Nix, his who, brother, is who, new. Who is Calvin McGee? Ty Olmet hired a tight ends coach. They are going to hire another assistant. <laughs> if you say um, so, in so, John Sumrall's place. Yeah. Um, Tyrone Nix, the linebackers coach right now, who I, I'm assuming will coach outside linebackers, um, and then they'll make a defensive hire. They're, they're, they're next, their 10th coach is going to be a defensive hire. I don't know where. It's going to be somewhere in the front seven. I would bet it's an inside linebackers coach. Yeah, you um, don't need two defensive line coaches, do you? I, I don't think so. And Roach does a good job. It's a 3-4 scheme. Yeah. So, so I guess we'll start with the three areas that is going to be the most intriguing, quote-unquote, to watch because of the most unknown. And I wrote about this on supertalk.fm on Tuesday. And for me, it starts... One with the offensive line. They have so they have seven new offensive line come linemen coming. The problem is they're all coming in the fall. So oh. they physically have enough bodies to run three offensive line groups, according to Matt Luke. I did not work to confirm that one. Um, <laughs> not a big math guy, but <laughs> sounds like fifteen. Barring an, I'm going to guess barring an injury, that's that that three group thing very fragile <laughs> because you got seven reinforcements coming not until the fall. You're retooling the offensive line. That's, to me, the most undersold part of this team because, yes, they're going to lose playmakers at receiver. Yes, it's a new quarterback. Yes, it's a new system. But if no one's blocking for them, that seems could be bad. Trouble. That seems bad. <laughs> for Matt Especially Crow. for a run-oriented spread attack. So, <laughs> offensive line, what, probably the most significant area to shore up? Yeah. Because you've seen enough of Corral to know it's probably capable. Yeah, he's he's a good – I think I, I shouldn't say good college quarterback. I think he could be a good college quarterback. Uh, you know, you want to see him in real game action. Uh, he's got definitely the tools. But, yeah, the offensive line is, you know, you lose Sean Rawlings, Javon Patterson, Jordan Sims, Greg Little. Um, you got to have to have some work to replace those guys. So, yeah, Ole Miss is going to have to get that. I think a lot of the spring is going to be install uh, from Rich Rodriguez's offense. and Probably and, a safe bet. Yeah, I think, you know, you probably want to get that installed somewhat in the spring. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a real physical spring. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how those guys translate and, you know, what they're able to do with kind of the lack of bodies. And they've they've worked some different combinations on the left side of the offensive line. The biggest, like Ole Miss has been, I guess, blessed is the right word, of having a surefire left tackle for what? How long now? Seven years? Uh, Yeah. Well, Tunzel, well, Tunzel was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 6. But the, I can't, I'm blanking on a name because we're, because I'm very tired, but the the their left tackle before Tunsil was very good, and I, I it's going to really make me mad that I can't. I know who you're talking yeah, about, so, but I'm going to disagree. <laughs> who you're talking about, Bradley Sowell? No, 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 no. no. There's one in between. Um, uh, Bradley Sowell was the left tackle in 11. Uh, Emmanuel McCray was the left tackle in 12. I think you're thinking of Bobby Massey, who played right tackle. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Of. Point being. Ole Miss is now like left tackle. It, I, I'm it's not, question mark. What do they do there? Uh, Alex Givens is going to play it, isn't he? I don't think so. I think they keep him on the right side. He may really? end up having to out of necessity, 
Well, who the hell is going to play left tackle? I think they're going to try to keep him on the um, on the on the other side of uh, on that same side with Ben Brown, if possible. Sure. Um, uh, Eli Johnson's going to play center, right? Or is going to have every every opportunity to play center? Yes, and they've actually they they felt pretty good about Eli Johnson at center, so that's something to watch. The next area is obviously the receiver, where Ole Miss kind of has they have some options, they've but talent. Nothing's proven. So they're going to get Demarcus Gregory back, who redshirted his freshman year after tearing his ACL in oh. high school. Oh, okay. uh, big physical six four receiver, going to kind of be not be DK Metcalf, but they're hoping he fills the kind of big perimeter outside target. Elijah Moore is a speedy guy in the slot. Braylon Sanders is probably the most underrated guy last yeah. year on the on the in the receiving court. He will be obviously the focal point of the offense. You know, newcomer Jaden Jackson, they kind of like, can do some different stuff. But receiver is certainly going to look different than it has the past five years. Mingo probably gets in there somewhere, maybe. The uh, four-star kid so from tough Brandon. to tell. Probably. I mean, he'll have a chance. But there's enough bodies there to where I don't know. Fair enough. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I think, like you kind of said, it's unproven. I don't – I am uh, the farthest thing from a high school talent evaluator – uh, so I guess we'll just see you in the fall. Um, but Ole Miss has some talented guys, like you mentioned, Elijah Moore, Demarcus Gregory, Miles Battle, uh, Braylon, well, Braylon Sanders. Is yeah, that correct. Yeah, I, I think they have some talented guys there. But I think Mingo and and Dennis Jackson are uh, some talented guys in the signing class. So I think they're going to be okay at receiver. What are they doing at tight end? Cooley, Cooley's still there. I've heard Octavius Cooley is really coming along for four or That's five good. years, so maybe he'll finally have – Maybe in his eighth year in the program, he will And he will, uh, he'll be good. Yeah, so – and then the last area, and perhaps the most interesting to me, is the shift to the 3-4 defense and them fitting those outside backers. And they've moved Charles Wiley and Kadir Shepard from defensive end to play that outside backer spot, which it's – a lot of times, particularly on third down, when they take the nose tackle out of there, it's basically it's a, a defensive end spot, too. You're trying to rush the passer. But I think Shepard's length and Wiley's kind of – I mean, Wiley's not as long, but but a big physical guy will actually play well in space out there on that outside. They've moved Cavante Ruggs to the outside over there. Jonathan Hess, a kid out of, I believe, Birmingham that they recruited yeah. as a – linebacker moved to defensive end when he got to campus is now back is back out there i don't know about skill wise but from a frame he seems to be one of the better fits there from a kind of a not slender but but long guy like a little bit rangy i think he could fit well out there you say that's going to be the biggest the qu- question mark on the defense what you say it looks good in the pads yeah yes. well why not throw that cliche out there <laughs> looks good in the pads but that that to me is going to be the most interesting part because yeah. if nothing else this defense is going to look different yeah for sure uh they'll probably get lined up correctly so that'll help um but yeah it's it's look almost struggled on defense last year because they couldn't run so they're going to look to get some guys out there that can move um I think McIntyre's got is a really good defensive coach. He so, comes with a reputation of doing a little with a lot, which is precisely what he did a lot Colorado. with a little. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, which is exactly what he's going to have to do here. Yeah, because there's uh, Hugh Freeze didn't recruit defense for three years, so um, you know it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they translate uh, from a linebacker. Do they have enough linebackers? Um, you know, it'll be it'll certainly be interesting to see how they do and uh, how they translate this spring. So, I'll in closing on football, we'll give you three things to watch. 
who kind of emerges at wide receiver, how they fit those outside backers, and kind of who slides to the inside. I think you'll have Jacquez Jones and, and a couple of those other guys. It was interesting to me. They moved rugs out there and then retooling the left side of the offensive line, whether that's Royce Newman, whether that's Chandler Tewitt, whether that's both of them over there. It'll be interesting to see. So that's about – it's going to be a long spring – we have another month and a half to talk football before the Grove Jesus, Bowl. Jesus, they're playing. They're going a month and a half. What the Grove Bowl is in April? Is it? Is it not? They they uh they have fifteen practices. Like what are well, they doing? Spring break in between. Okay, okay. Grove Bowl is in April. Not a huge ma- again. Not a huge math guy, but the Grove Bowl being in April and it still being February. Well, that's a month and a half. In my okay, mind. technically it's not February in like two days though. You I forget. think like one day. You f- is this I, I, a leap I'm ju- year? I'm just screwing with you. No, no it's not a leap year. Uh, well, it's a leap year if you want February, to. <laughs> February having 28 days seems like a crime. Yeah. So anyway, long spring. We'll hit more football. And then we'll hit on the Ole Miss wins over UT Martin in baseball. Uh, another bad outing from a starting pitcher. Um, but the bullpen looked good behind it. And then, of course, the offense has traveled pretty much everywhere they've gone and changed the game. What, they get behind 4 nothing. Answer with four in the bottom of the first. <laughs> blow the game open in the middle innings. Impressions, I guess. You kind of hit it. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, it's a midweek game. Why, it's why a February midweek game against UT. Martin. Thomas Diller hit a ball four hundred and fifty feet. Uh, so did Keenan Tyler Homer, Keenan. So Zabowski. did Zabowski. Ron Olenek. That's that's what we need to talk about. Uh, so <laughs> well, let's go in chronological order then uh, with 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 the pitching because the starting pitching small sample size problem. Uh, that's a, that's a nice way to put it is to call it a problem. I, I've they got some other adjectives. Then had a starter get through the fifth except for opening day, correct? Uh, yeah. Completely through the fifth. Will no. Etheridge starts five and two-thirds. That's the only start they have in seven games. Correct. Um, and I think I text you, they have like a nine ERA over the last six games. Suboptimal. Suboptimal. Um, like a two-five whip. Like, it's bad. Um, so they might want to get that figured out. Good news for them is uh, Long Beach State sucks. So uh, that have a help. chance to figure it out. But realistically, what does the rotation look like going into opening weekend against Alabama? Uh, I will make a bold prediction here. One, I th- obviously Etheridge is the one sure thing, and having him out with the blister has kind of made things look more murkier than perhaps they probably are. Maybe. Saturday has to get short up. I think Houston Roth and Roth, Phillips are both going to get another start. Well, I, Roth certainly deserves one because he had one bad outing at Tulane. Like you, you deserve more than one I start. I probably vouch for Phillips for one more. Okay, two. I mean, sure. I don't. If the fastball velocity's not there, he's not going to be able to get people out in this league. I would agree with that. So the fastball velocity has to be there, or Ole Miss is going to have to make a change there. That's as simple as it gets. Gunnar Hogland will start on every Sunday this year, so they're going to figure out because it. he's going to he's done enough good things to give them a chance. Look, if if you have any sort of baseball knowledge and you can look at Gunnar Hogland, you can tell that kid's going to be really really good. So just let him do his thing, and he will figure it out plus stuff but he throws the ball he throws too many fastballs that movement. catch too much of the plate yeah and honestly the walking the walking the ridiculous what he didn't walk anyone his entire senior year Correct. high school don't you almost kind of need to walk a guy sometimes i get it you can get away with that in high school but you don't want to be yeah, catching don't, the plate with your don't throw three one fastballs with two outs and nobody on down the middle just walk them and start over like <laughs> but to our overall point, I think he's done enough good things. Yeah, he's standing low. That he will stay in the rotation. He will end up figuring it out because you look. Mike Bianco actually made a really good point after the game, or maybe it was on maybe it was on Sports Talk Radio Show. Is that Ryan Rollison and a couple of the other aces he's had, eventual aces he had in the past, 
haven't started from day one on the weekend no. rotation. They've worked their way in, so it's going to take some time. I think Hoagland will be fine. Saturday is where they're really going Saturday, to be short. And the midweek. I think it's going to be Doug Nikhazy eventually. Ooh, I think he's so good in the pen, man. He's so good in the pen. If Roth doesn't get it together and Phillips continues to do what he's done so far, what other <sighs> option do you have? You don't. And you have more. You, you have. I understand he's a lefty out of the pen. He has electric stuff. That being Nikhazy, but you have Trophy back there. You trust. You have Miller. Well, why not? Why not Trophy? Because seemingly from looking at the numbers in the fall and winter, Nikhazy got more looks as a starter. Fair enough. And that's yeah, why he did. I think they would go there yeah. first. And I don't. I. I, I you're. I don't think Trophy's a bad option. I think he might be the midweek guy if this doesn't get fixed rather soon. That's certainly a possibility because we'll get to that in a second, but outside of Fowler, you don't have any other options um, on the midweek at this point. Caleb Hill, but yeah. Possibly, but he's another. But if you take Hill and Nikhazy out of the pen, where's your lefty option? It's Fowler. No, I mean, yeah, but he's but yeah, not really. But no. <laughs> yes, but no. That's my point. Exactly. <laughs> So he can't get Tennessee Martin out. You know, in a perfect Mike's ideal perfect world, if he's because that's that's his main. Let's make no mistake about it. His main focus over these next three weeks as they barrel towards the start of conference play with Alabama is what does the rotation look like? Because I think the bullpen rolls are kind of fleshing themselves out. Yeah, been pretty good. The rotation's been bad. So perfect world, it's Phillips. Phillips or Roth figures it out. Yeah, and look. And, and I don't want to stray from the point of the starters. Uh, Taylor Broadway was really good for Ole Miss on on Tuesday or Wednesday. Was it? It was Tuesday. Um, I think he's going to get. You know, he he had a really bad outing against Wright State on Saturday. I think he's going to be really good for Ole Miss. He was D three JUCO Player of the Year, I believe. Um, so it was good for him to get out there and throw. I think two scoreless innings for Ole Miss. But yeah, to your point on us, Ole Miss has to get Saturday and they have to get the midweek figured out. Everybody just kind of scoffs at the midweek, and I don't really understand that because those games count just like the other fifty six. Like Ole Miss plays East Carolina next week, and that game's going to count. Like it just as much as when they play Alabama or Mississippi State here in two weeks. Well, the thing about it in the SEC is you get so many opportunities that it's harder for the midweek to damage your resume and right. damage your RPI. But to your point, you can't. What was that? What was was it? The fifteen or the sixteen team that lost so many midweek games? Fifteen. Was 16, sixteen was one. That, yeah. yeah, that's right. So, yes, they do need to get that figured out. Um, I think they do. I, I think Roth. I I think Roth ends up being good enough to pitch on Saturdays, and he's kind of got that nastiness about him to where he'll compete in games. But if not, I think it's Nikhazy because I, I just I, there's been no evidence from Phillips to suggest, and I know it's only two starts, and we're talking we're we're working with tiny sample sizes, but there's nothing to suggest to the contrary at this point. Yeah, the only thing is, look, Zach Phillips dominated what what I think, and I'm pretty sure what you think is a really good lineup throughout the fall. He dominated him. So there's something there. It's kind of like uh, on an offensive scale, Tim Elko hit 400 this fall and this spring. I know he's two for 18 or three for 18, whatever. He hit this – like there's something to that. And Ole Miss deserves – or those kids deserve to be able to go out and at least have uh, ample opportunity to prove they can or can't do it. I think Phillips gets one more start to prove he can. If it doesn't go well versus Long Beach, I really don't think you can justify continuing to send him out there because Long Beach has a 470 OPS. Uh, you may not be a big numbers guy. That's really bad. 
They hit like 156. So I think uh, this this weekend presents an opportunity for Ole Miss. It's like a get-right weekend on the mound. Uh, do you think Etheridge pitches this weekend? It was sounding like yes. So Will Etheridge threw a bullpen off of the mound on Wednesday, I okay. guess, the day of the game. Every, day uh, of the Mike baseball said game? it went okay that well, too soon to make a decision. But, I mean, unless it's one of – I understand blisters can linger, but – it's two weeks. Oh, it's he needs to throw. two weeks now, and if he's throwing, that would lead me to believe that he's probably okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he pitches. He may not pitch Friday, but I think he pitches at some point this weekend. So the last order of business from baseball was Ryan O'Linick yeah. pitching a scoreless ninth inning. I was talking to a couple people after the game about it. They're going to have to use. He's going to have some kind of pitching if role. You're going to put Doug McKenzie in the starting rotation. He better have a st- he better have a pitching role. O'Linick. Consistently hit 91, 91 pretty to good 93 slider, breaking goal, whatever hammer. you want to call it. And he didn't throw any change-ups, but Bianco and Olenek, who well, if is I not can... lacking lacking on confidence, <laughs> seems to think that's there, too. Well, if I could throw a hammer like that, I wouldn't throw a change-up either. I'd just throw that, because that was filthy. Olenek had an all-time Olenek quote after the game. So <laughs> he was asked if, you know, because there's so much unknown here, and it's kind of come about pretty quickly, even though he was a good pitcher in high school. Somebody asked, you know, what is this? Is this something you're just going to do practice to kind of have some fun in the midweeks? Or is this going to it's be like, something nope. more serious? And he said, what you saw out there tonight, I don't know why you'd only use that in midweeks. <laughs> Touche, <laughs> I right? I appreciate the confidence. It was, I started laughing. I mean, he's I got was, a point. He's he throwing 93. Like, I don't know. Put him in the game. That's he the got, best point, look, though. He that, got Tennessee Tech out. Nobody else did. So, I'm just saying. I like talking to Ryan Olenek. He's a fun quote. He's a kid with a lot of confidence. And he says things like that with a straight face without flinching. And it's not like that it comes off bad. It's just funny that he says it almost unassumingly. And it takes you a, a, a minute to process. It's like, yeah. dang. You know, if, if we're going to do the Olenek pitching thing, it does can't bring in, you know, the, the DH, it kind of limits what you can do with him from a pitching perspective, though, you know? You got to put him in at the right time, to your point. Well, you got to put him in late. Yep. I mean, you can't you can't put him in in the third inning and burn your DH. Like, that's not realistic. Now, your DH isn't burned technically until he leaves the mound. But you can't put him in the third and let him pitch two innings and move him back to center field because then you're pinch hitting for your pitcher the whole game. And not that this matters, but I would imagine like the fringe fans amongst the Ole Miss fan base are going to turn on a game one time and see the center fielder pitching and wonder what kind of problems this team is having. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. He, he seems he's a – if there's one thing – Ryan Olenek is a competitor. Loves yes. – like, very intense, loves to compete, and I think he loves this challenge. I think it's something different. I think it's something unique. He's apparently throwing one pin a week and has been doing that for a while, so it's something to keep an eye on, but we've gone a while. I'm very tired. It has been a long week. It will be an interesting weekend for Ole Miss Athletics. There's a chance I will be in Fayetteville Saturday. I don't know yet. Looking at the schedule, we'll have coverage at supertalk.fm. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh no, I mean uh, it's a big basketball game for Ole Miss on Saturday. That is for certain. And we'll have more of that on Friday because we'll have a Friday pod. We were unable to record on Wednesday. We figured it might be more fitting to do a Thursday podcast and do you know after the basketball game than a basketball preview. Worked out well, so we'll have another podcast for you tomorrow. But for now, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. He is Colin Brister, and we will talk to you on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.